You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I want to say thank you for those of you who actually reach out via email and reach out via DM. You ask questions, you 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 feel comfortable enough reaching out to me and saying, hey man, I've got a question based off of a show or just a question about fitness that I wanted to ask. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna dip into the mailbag today. We're gonna dip into the mailbag and find some of the questions that people have asked me and things that I thought were interesting and that maybe you may be interested in as well. So. One of the questions on that, that I got earlier this week or last week was from Mark R. And he says, hi, Dr. Richie. I'm curious if there is a key difference between muscle balance and muscle function. So he's currently studying for NASM's Performance Enhancement Specialist course. And he got this question regarding integrated training and programming. And he said, you train for muscle function and muscle balance. I'm curious how they are different. Thanks, Mark R. Well, I want to say, first of all, thanks to Mark for writing, reaching out, feeling comfortable enough to ask the question. And let's talk a little bit about both of these, right? So muscle function is what a muscle does. The function of a muscle would be things like flexion and extension, abduction and adduction. Um, they are the, the joint actions that take place. That is the function. Now, we can produce those functions. We can reduce or decelerate those functions. We can isometrically stabilize. So the function is how the muscles uh, produce, reduce, or dynamically stabilize in multiple planes at various speeds in a safe and coordinated fashion. That's going to be your function. That's what muscles do. That's their function. But what is muscle balance then on the other hand? Muscle balance is about the alignment. When a muscle is out of balance, it's going to pull us into things like uh, upper cross syndrome, the Yonda's upper cross syndrome, which is the rounded shoulders, protracted shoulders, forward head. It might be lower cross syndrome. Yonda's lower cross syndrome is an anterior pelvic tilt. Uh, pelvis rotates forward. The spine extends. It could be something like a pronation distortion syndrome, feet flatten, feet turn out, knees adduct. These are different types of things we look at muscle balance. You might even see somebody doing a squat. You say squat, don't you squat with your feet straight ahead. And as that person squats, one leg turns out, the other one may stay straight ahead. That's a balance issue, balance between the muscle function. We have a balance issue between how, uh, how your body is aligned. So we oftentimes talk about alignment when it comes to that. So, uh, you know, and I, I say, I hope this answers your question. And it kind of did, but he did reach back out and he asked another question. The follow-up question is, thank you. If you don't mind, I have a follow-up question. Could you explain altered reciprocal inhibition and how it's different from synergistic dominance? And these questions had come up from him based off of muscle function and muscle balance or imbalance. He said, I know synergistic dominance is the result of a weak prime mover. It seems like synergistic dominance is a result of altered reciprocal inhibition. 
And the truth of the matter is, it's, it's possibly the case. So think about it this way. This is the one that we, we use. It's easy to see when I have tight hip flexors from being in a seated position all day long. Our clients may have tight hip flexors. They may not. So don't just assume everybody has tight hip flexors because they sit down a lot. But let's assume that we do have someone with tight hip flexors. As they try to stand up, those hip flexors will activate. Those hip flexors who are already tight, now they're activating because they don't want to be stretched. They don't like that position. So the glutes downregulate their activity. And the glutes also, because they are reciprocally inhibited, may be also inhibited because you sit on them all day. So there's another type of inhibition that is not reciprocal inhibition. That would be autogenic inhibition, the pressure put on something. So the mechanoreceptors in the same muscle inhibit that muscle. But let's assume we've got reciprocal inhibition. So the glute max isn't firing ideally. Now what? Well, if I want to go into the hip extension, then other muscles, the synergist have to help out. My primary mover is not doing its primary job. And so other muscles that are supporters are now primary movers. So that would be things like what? I want you to think about what they are. If you said hamstrings, you're in a good place. What about the posterior fibers of, some of you are saying it right now, the adductor magnus, right? So posterior fibers of the adductor magnus help to extend the hip. The hamstrings extend the hip. And sometimes we may not get as much hip extension. So we might, instead of doing more hip extension, do more spinal extension to make up for that. So our erectors in that case, though it's not synergistic dominance at the hip, globally it's synergistic dominance as the spine tries to make up for an extension for what the hips are not doing fully. So the erectors could be part of that process as well. Why? Because the hip flexors became tight and it inhibited the muscle on the other side, the reciprocal muscle, the glute max. So I think the question is, is it, uh, is synergistic dominance an issue or is it reciprocal inhibition that leads up and causes the synergistic dominance? Uh, it's not always the same. It's not always reciprocal inhibition leads to the synergistic dominance. It could be just the inactivity of a certain muscle leads to other muscles becoming more active. Um, but can altered reciproca reciprocal inhibition lead to synergistic dominance? Absolutely, 100%. That is very likely, it is very common, and that is something that we do see. So it's a great question, it's good insight that he was able to parse that out, ask the question, and I just come back and gotta confirm it and say, yeah, altered reciprocal inhibition can lead to the inhibition of a primary muscle that causes synergistic dominance. So excellent job on that. Uh, let's go with another question. This question, so a few weeks ago, I'd done something on uh, runner's knee. And this was, this was good. It was just a follow-up question from Sully. So Sully, and this second question in the, in the list here, it says, I'm very interested uh, in your podcast on runner's knee. I'd like to take it a step further and ask you your thoughts and possible fixes for shin splints and how it relates to runner's knee 
And also, if you think a shoe makes a difference and could that be a hindrance? I have clients with these issues and I'm always trying to learn how to help them. Uh, so thank you so much solely for asking the question. So let's talk about shin splints for a moment. Shin splints. Uh, it, it's a it's a dying term in the medical world. It's an outdated term in the medical world, in fact. But in the lay world, in the layman's vocabulary, it's still very much in the system. And shin splints is just a, a, a name for pain in the shin. Now, we have different locations that pain could be. So we call it shin splints. We just know somewhere in your lower leg, between your knee and your ankle, something's bothering you. Uh, so let's look at what that is. So what is the, the, the shin splints? Usually it's an inflammation where it's got something to do, inflammation of the muscle, inflammation of the tendon, or even the inflammation of the periosteum. The periosteum is the fascia that surrounds the bone. So we sometimes divide shin splints into two main areas. We'll look at anterior or anterolateral shin splints and posterior shin splints, or sometimes referred to as posterior medial shin splints. So let's talk about anterolateral shin splints. That is pain in the anterior tibialis. And the anterior tibialis is on the front lateral side of the shin. It's that muscle that you can feel right next to your shin. And it can become very painful. It can become inflamed in the muscle, the anterior tibialis, the periosteum, uh, and the connection between the muscle and the bone can become very painful. But here's really one of the places primarily that it comes from. It can come from tight calves, and that, that anterior tibialis is doing a job constantly fighting about uh, fighting with the calf on the other side. So an anterior tibialis is a dorsiflexor. Calves are plantar flexors. And the biggest thing that happens here is when we work on decelerating, deceleration of plantar flexion. As we decelerate plantar flexion, so we go into a heel strike, and as our heel strikes, we don't just let our foot flop to the ground. We don't heel strike and then flop. It is a deceleration. It is a rolling of the foot onto the ground. Well, if I continue to do that, and it's not something that I've done very much, for instance, about 20 years ago, I moved to New York City, and I had the worst shin splints because I went from a place where I didn't walk very much at all. Anywhere I wanted to go, I, I would drive. I would circle a parking lot to get the closest parking space. And, and that could be at the gym. I could circle the parking lot of the gym a few times just to try to find the closer parking space so I could go in and work out. And then I moved to New York and I didn't drive at all. But I walked everywhere and my shins became very sore. Now, that might have been DOMS, right? Initially, it's DOMS, but I have sore shins. It's not like I could take a break. So I had to keep walking. Everywhere I'd go, I'd walk. I'd walk. I had to walk. To go to the grocery store, you walk. When you get to the grocery store, you carry your groceries back. Unless you were rich. And then we took a cab. Now we have wonderful delivery services, but whatever. 
whatever. I walked all the time, got shin splints. It was awful. Anterior lateral shin splints, continually decelerating that. It went from soreness into inflammation, and there were shin splints. What's the other kind? The other kind is called posterior medial shin splints. And so if you go to your shin bone and now go to the medial side, and you're going to go from the medial side, start going posterior, and right there where your bone ends and the muscle begins, there is a muscle that runs through there called the posterior tibialis. How, but it's not just the posterior tibialis. It's a big part of it. But the posterior medial shin splints could be what we refer to as the Tom, Dick, and Harry muscles. Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tom for tibialis, posterior. Um, Dick for digitorum longus, flexor digitorum longus. And Harry, halluses, the flexor halluses longus. So tibialis posterior, flexor digitorum longus, flexor halicus longus. Flexor digitorum longus flex all the toes except for the big toe. And they also do plantar flexion and inversion at the ankle. The flexor hallucis longus is a big toe muscle. The hallux, the hallucis longus is the big toe muscle. It does toe flexion, but it crosses the ankle, plantar flexes and inverts. And the posterior tibialis doesn't cross over the toes, but it does ankle plantar flexion and inversion. So these plantar flexor inverters start to become inflamed because oftentimes, so plantar flexion inversion, but as we take steps and we evert or pronate, then this overuse can happen, over pronation can happen. But some other things that might happen could be poor technique, so poor running mechanics or walking mechanics. And it could also have uh, a, a footwear contribution to it. And so, yeah, the question about footwear that Soli had asked, could footwear be problematic with that? The answer is yeah. And sometimes people that are runners, they get a pair of shoes, they really love them, and they don't pay attention to their mileage, and they break down these shoes, and these shoes start to uh, cause the foot to move in ways that they shouldn't move. Now, Understanding foot mechanics, we know that a lot of shoes cause feet to move in ways that they shouldn't move anyway, but it's almost like we've become so used to the footwear that's been developed that that's just what we are used to. You can't just go to a minimalist shoe and start running in those. You have to build yourself into it. And the ones that do support your feet as that lack of support starts to creep in, but you're still maintaining higher mileage or a lot of walking, or maybe not even a lot of walking, just the overuse of movement and your shoes aren't supporting that, then that can lead to some issues as well. So what can we do for as CPTs when it comes to people that have shin splints? Well, I think first thing that you may need to do is refer somebody out. So if they have pain, people need to get out of pain. And one of the ways to do that is to go seek medical advice from the professionals that are there. So go see a physician, go see a physical therapist and refer them out. Now, it doesn't mean you don't, you can't train them. You can train somebody and not work the lower leg, but I don't want 
them to be like, oh, as long as we can work around it, I don't have to address it. It still needs to be addressed, so they should be referred out. Also, don't do anything that causes symptoms, right? So the, the famous saying, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, ah, don't do that. Well, that's the same thing for you as a personal trainer. Causes pain, don't do anything that causes pain. So we're gonna refer them out, and while we're still training them, we're not gonna do anything that, uh, that causes those symptoms to come back up. Uh, Self-myofascial rolling around the lower leg, the posterior chain. So you can foam roll the shins, the front of the shin, not the bone itself, but the, the tibialis anterior on the front of the shins, the peroneals on the side, your calves, the medial portion, posterior medial portion of the lower leg. Just get in and foam rolling, stretching, static stretching, some dynamic and active stretching will be supportive, but static stretching I think would be good for this particular situation. And then incorporating some balance exercises as long as that doesn't elicit the pain for the shin splints, balance exercises, causing the feet to get stronger, the muscles around the ankle to get stronger. And then also don't just have them do balance exercises, but have them do it in good form. So watching their feet, making sure they're maintaining a slight arch, that they're perching onto the ground with that single leg by trying to grab the ground a little bit. Not hard, not, not just biting into the ground with your feet, but using your feet to activate. And then make sure the knee is staying lined up in the center of the foot. Because a lot of times I see people doing balance exercises, which are great that you're incorporating them. But the balance exercises, when people do the exercises, they keep going into knee valgus. And you should not be putting somebody and challenge them in a balance exercise unless they're doing it well. Otherwise, you're reinforcing poor patterns. And we don't want to do that. What else? Well, when it's not painful, you can start doing some isolated strengthening for the muscles in the lower leg. It doesn't hurt anymore. Let's strengthen the muscles in the lower leg. And then that can build up some of the strength and stability that starts to minimize the pain that takes place. And then the last thing that I have on the list here is just minimizing impacts, minimizing how your client touches their foot onto the ground make sure that you're staying away from pain. All right. With that said, uh, I hope that both Mark and Sully found that to be helpful and beneficial, but not just them, you too. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. We'll gather a few questions and then we'll dig into my mailbag and we'll pull out a few of the questions that you have asked and answered them on the show. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Rick. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so. Instagram, you can DM me at dr.rickrichie or you can email me at rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y, at nasm.org. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.